turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9, and just while you're finding it, I'll introduce myself. I'm Jim Henderson. I'm the uh, youth pastor, um, so I get the fun job in the church, which is, you know, pool parties and zip lines and, you know, fun stuff like that with, uh, with your teenagers, and uh, usually pay for it for about two or three days afterwards, because um, I'm not as young as them. Um, but we're going to go uh, to chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be reading the whole thing um, all the way through. There's a lot here. And uh, just ready your heart for what God might have to say to you. And so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, and those who offer sacrifices, those who do not. As it is with the good man, and so with the sinner, as it is with those who take oaths and those who are afraid to take them, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of men, moreover, are full of evil, and there is madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion." For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further rewards, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white. And always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For in the grave, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in cruel nets or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, and built large siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. And so I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are no longer needed. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the incredible wisdom and teaching that is packed into this book. And Lord God, we ask now that as Pastor Darren comes to teach, that, Lord God, our hearts would be ready to hear what it is you have to say. And that, Lord God, that 
we would allow Your Spirit to work in us, to mold us, to shape us in Your image, that we might go out and be that conduit to our community about us, to the world before us. We might be world changers in Your name. Amen. The best argument for Christianity is Christians. Their joy, their certainty, their completeness. But the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug and complacent to consecration, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. That's the words of Sheldon Vonneken and they're pretty potent words, right? <laughs> Especially after just reading that, right? We're about to talk about joy, and it uh, feels like someone just rang out a towel on you, right? But look, what Solomon said all those years ago is just intuitive wisdom that we still have to today. And in truthfulness, like when you read these words from Sheldon, you believe them because you've experienced them. Uh, our friend Greg Murtha, who just passed last a couple weeks ago. As he lived out his last days, weren't you, ins- I was inspired by the way that he lived. In the, in, in, he was living in Ecclesiastes 9 life, seemingly, and yet he lived with so much faith, so much power in that. Acts 1.8 says that I will give you power uh, to be my witnesses. When the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive power to be my witnesses. Of course that means what you say, right? The power to say and to speak boldly. It can't mean less than that, but I think it might mean more than that. Because when you're living out a life, what you say, you're, I mean, look, your grandma told you this. You might be the only Bible that some people ever read, your life. <laughs> and if your grandmas didn't tell you that, there's some truth for you. Jesus said it better when he said that uh, by your love, like your fruit. By you, like, when you love one another, that's how they'll know. So your fruit, your love, your thing. And so w- what you say when it is backed up with how you live, you are a testimony. Did anybody old enough to remember the chick tracks? Oh my goodness, yeah, some of you guys. And if you maybe in a truck stop, you've unrolled the toilet paper and a th- that little scary comic book falls off onto the floor, that's what a chick track is. And they are 100% designed to scare the crud out of you to go to Jesus. That's what they say, right? That's the book. But what your words are when they're lived out in a way that is different than the world around you, and that's what the Spirit has come upon you to do, to give you power to live what Sheldon calls with certainty and completeness and joy. And the trouble in our society right now is that um, we've had these two extremes. One was, I'm so broken and I'm so messed up and I'm so jacked up and it's okay to not be okay, but sometimes when someone says it's okay to not be okay, what they're really saying is, I like the way I am and I'm just gonna stay this way. And on the other high, the other ditch, if you will, was, what are you talking about? I, if I say that out loud, it's just a bad confession. I'm, I am the, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I am. So there's no acknowledgement at all of the suffering. Or on the other hand, there's an acknowledgement of only the suffering, and neither one, they're both errors. Because in the middle somewhere is the spirit that rises up inside of you. 
And here's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It deals with all of it. The Bible is awesome because it tells you the truth. It tells you the truth about how bad this fallen world is, and it tells you the truth about how awesome God is. Both. And that's this passage in Ecclesiastes. is just saying, look, they're, they're, you're in this fallen world, and there's some meaningless stuff that's going to happen. And this is, it goes through death and uncertainty and injustice. And my question is, in the Ecclesiastes 9 world, parenthetically, written before Jesus, and we'll get to that. In the Ecclesiastes 9 world, in this room right now, there are people that you've experienced death, uncertainty, injustice. How can you still live this quenched, spirit-filled, fulfilled life when the Genesis 3 world sucker punches you? The natural response is despondency. The natural response is to withdraw. The natural response is to be angry at the injustice. But I'm not talking about a natural response. I'm talking about a super natural response. And I believe that that's the promise for us. And you would be forgiven to think that the only way to feel this fulfillment and to be awesome for Jesus is to, because what did we just do? I just paraded in front of you, Melissa Irwin, who crazy, flew to Zimbabwe by herself and ten, you know, 10 years later, or David Whetstone in a tent for nine months in the middle of nowhere, the bush country of Africa. You would be forgiven to think that that's the only way that you can feel this fulfillment because that's what we just paraded in front of you. But the danger is to think that that is the only way to focus on this macro when in fact on the micro, if God is infinite, that means he's infinitely large and it means he's infinitely small. And I would challenge you this morning to tell you that in this, he talks about death, uncertainty, and injustice, DUI. Remember that. But then he goes on and talks about in the middle of all the death and the uncertainty and the injustice are these four things that he talks about that are just everyday life. He says that in your life, these are just these awesome things that God wants to do in your life. Food and drink. He talks about the white clothes and the anointed oil, that, that awesome outfit that you haven't put on in a while. He talks about the, his wife and he talks about work. Those four things, none of which would be considered macro, they're all just what we would consider mundane. And he's saying these are God approved these things. So in this Genesis three world, one of the greatest things that I think we can do is to let the spirit rise up inside of us and live every day with death around us. Death has a way of knocking over your Cheerios. Let's just be honest. That has a way of stealing joy and fulfillment from your life. But a hope that can be defeated by the grave is not hope. That's just wishing. He says that, because what he's really saying is that, look, there is no hope. If, if all we're going to die before Jesus, we're all the rich and the poor, the power, we're all going to die. So why even try? If it's just meaningless. Why? That, these are hard questions. He will not let you get away with not asking the hard questions. And parents, if you're not asking them, I promise you, your kids are. Solomon 
thousands of years ago. It says, look, this is true. This just happens. Rich people, poor people, white people, black people, tall people, short people, skinny people, fat people, they all die. And if that's the end of the story, then what he's saying is it's meaningless. Death has a way of knocking over the Cheerios. But it's not just death, just uncertainty. There's a guy just this week riding out on his bike on the Natchez Trace, just riding his bike and gets broadsided by a car. By the way, walks away from it, so I don't know where Benny Hinn was, but that was impressive. Like, I don't... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, he's straight up, bam, knocked off and fought. I mean, he's walking around like, that's impressive. I don't know who you are. But the Hinn, it was uncertainty. Some of you have lost your job. You didn't see it coming. It was uncertainty. And what happens, what uncertainty can do, while death will cause you to think hopeless and whatever, uncertainty makes you live paralyzed. I'm too afraid to take any risks anymore because I'm uncertain that this is going to happen. Because what does he say? The, 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 the race isn't just to the swift. It's to everybody. You know, it's not fair. Because that's really what he's saying is that life isn't fair, that it's uncertain. You just never know. And then if I'm just going to live and I'm going to die, you know, just, gosh, just when we moved this last year, I had, uh, in my former life, we had these gold records and records from artists that I've represented that were such a huge part of my life for so long. And so and when you know how it is when you move, you take stuff down and then you got to put it back up. And, and there's a point of like realizing every one of these gold records from every one of these artists, if you're over 35 or 40, you know who they are. But my kids, I don't know who they are. Like, I wiped your butt on that guy's bus, and you don't know who he is? <laughs> no, I have no, have no memory of that. Because there's just the, everything, there's a season, and, there's a, and it isn't that that was meaningless, it's just if that's all there is, then what I have right now in an attic is a box full of gold records that are meaningless if this is all there is. Death and uncertainty and injustice uh, to me, that one, hit, that one hits me right in the gut. When something happens that isn't fair, that's not just. But parents, you know what's one of the greatest gifts that you can give your kids is the truth. And you know what the truth is? Life isn't fair. Not in the Genesis 3 world, it's not. And so what can happen with injustice is I can get angry and I can get so mad and I'm, I'm lashing out at everybody because of injustice. And Paul, I mean Paul well, Solomon is saying, it just is, it's just what it is. You might as well get used to it because that's what it is. And thank God for, he's honest with us and says that this, it isn't how it always will be, but for now, that's how it is. And for you to just, to, to be paralyzed with fear and uncertainty and anger and rage, that's what the DUI will do you. But he says, hey, but you know what you can do? He lists these four things out, these glimpses, which is what I think they are. C.S. Lewis's book, Surprised by Joy. If you've ever struggled with your faith, if you are currently struggled with your faith, or if you think you ever will, which you will. His book, Surprised by Joy, saved my faith. Because one of the things, a former atheist encounters this idea that if joy itself is in itself an evidence of an eternity out there. That the morality itself is all because of what, inside of us, this joy that rises up, this glimpse of it, he says he felt was that that's a proof of it. And here's why he said that. Have you ever stood in front of this scenic 
view. If you've ever traveled, you've stood at the Grand Canyon. The Roberts just came back and saw these incredible things. And what you probably did, I'm gonna predict you, I'm gonna be a prophet, you probably stood there and you took a bunch of pictures. Because it's so awesome. And you came back. I mean, Cassandra, we came back from India. We have these awesome pictures, these memories of these moments, and all they are are pictures. In Alaska, you can stand at the foot of these mountains and be like, wow, it's so amazing. And the picture is because I want more of that. And the problem is, is the picture won't do it. It was that moment, that was it. Last night was the big gorgeous moon, and you know what happens when a big gorgeous moon happens over Tennessee? Instagram fills up with underwhelming photos of the gorgeous moon. <laughs> because it just didn't do it, like it didn't. And I was out running, so I try to run at night because I'm sort of a full-figured dude and nobody needs to see that. So I'm, you know what I mean? So I'm running at night and, and I see this gorgeous moon and my, what I wanted to do is take a picture of it, but I thought, no, just enjoy this. But what C.S. Lewis calls it is a pang. He calls it actually a stab of joy. And what he means by that is that inside of you is this thing that that's so amazing and I want it. And what he says is that that's a stab of joy because it's satisfying and unsatisfying at the exact same time. And he talks about it being a, a whisper of something more, something further away, something yet to come. Surprised by joy because I felt it. And here's how you know you feel it. You've been at the, uh, the, how many of you here, you've served in the nursery and you get that brand new baby in there. You got a brand new baby. Phil and Colleen are here this morning. They got a, she got one in the oven. Like it's gonna be here. And that baby, they're gonna see it for the first time and, and someone is gonna say something like this. Oh, this is so cute. This baby's so cute. Oh, it's so, I could just eat it up right now. So you say something freaky like that because it's just so much joy, I don't know what else to do. I mean, I eat you. But, so I've just solved, like, that's why we do that, because in your heart was this eternity of joy that you couldn't hold on to it anymore. That is eternity being written in your heart, and C.S. Lewis says that those moments of joy in the mundane and the everyday life are literally a whisper of what's to come. And he talks about it, oh, he says that your wine and your drink. He says those Everyday things are this joy for you. And what do we think in our lives? I know what happens at our house. It happened yesterday. Uh, Shannon's been working a lot at Place of Hope. So every day the kids, one kid is in charge of dinner and she texted, it was probably 4.30, I don't know. Hey, Ashley, don't forget you're on dinner and she CC'd all of us. Uh, and I, I heard, ding, the text. I look at the text and I hear, doo, 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 doo. <laughs> which is Ashley sprinting down the stairs because that is the very first time she thought about that since this morning. So a meal to her is super stressful. It's like, oh, I've been working all day. A lot of you, you husbands and wives, both of you are working. You are literally falling out of your car at the end of the day, and now i got to cook for these ungrateful, <laughs> insert emergency language. <laughs> Kids, that's what your mom's thinking. She ain't saying it. <laughs> you mean you don't like this. <laughs> But you know what happened? We went to uh, North Africa and we sat in the homes of this little Muslim family. And they, by the time we got there, it was one. You know what they had been doing that morning? They had been cooking all day long. When you go to Haiti with us, you'll see these women that are feeding the 600 children. They start it their days earlier. They're working hard all day long. And they might only eat one meal that day. 
There is no such thing as second breakfast or second dinner or a snack. So when they finally sit down at that meal, it's a beautiful thing. And what Solomon is challenges is don't do that. This, is a, this isn't supposed to be some burden. This is a beautiful moment for you and, and, and your food and your drink. And by the way, in every one of these things that he lists out, these pleasures, there is a perverted and there's a, per, a like a, per, a perverted, prohibited version. And then there is the don't forbid this, just go for it. And again, humanity, we're so easy to, and so predictable. There's a ditch on either side. When it comes to food, there's gluttony and there is like, I am never gonna eat any of these things. I'm so rigid with all. When I went to, the Bible college I went to, there were people there who literally lived in fear that somebody somewhere right now is actually having fun. And they just couldn't have that. They forbade it. So there's wisdom and there's stupidity, right? And so in every one of these, there's this moment of like, and don't, what did Paul say about food and drink? Don't, for, don't let anybody forbid you. He said it's demonic, 2 Timothy 2. Legalism isn't just bad, it's demonic. But he says that these pleasures of life Live and, and, and enjoy this thing that you thought was mundane. It's not. It's holy. And you know how it is that moment when you finally got them all at the table? Which is pretty hard at our house. And that moment where nobody complained that night was pizza. Like, is, there a, is there a meal that nobody complains at? There's probably, we've been married 23 years. There's probably two meals where nobody complained right, at the whole table. But that moment, that's actually why it feels so good to have all the family at the same table. He's saying that's a good thing that God has ordained and it is a stab of joy to leave you wanting more for eternity. And he talks about the white clothes. Put on, I think it's verse eight, nine. Put on the white garment and the oil on your head. It's, it's, it's talking about celebration. Some of us, I'm, and I'm one of these guys, by the way, like I'd, I'd rather sit in a corner. But you know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, Amy, when you went to Haiti with us and we went down to that little, that night we went to dinner and there was like a club next door. And... It, 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 <laughs> Let me tell you what I did. I, I disappeared because I knew exactly how that was going to go. But Amy down on the dance floor with a bunch of Haitians <laughs> while Pastor LaFleur is spinning. You know, he's like, wicka, wicka, wicka. Wicka, <laughs> And he's saying, do that. Have some fun. Relax. Let yourself, let your hair down a little bit. Some of you haven't done that in a long time. The greatest gift I think you can give your kids is just have some fun with them. So he talks about that, right? The, the, uh, uh, the wine and the drink, and he talks about the, the white clothes, and then he talks about his wife. Now, think about this. Solomon had been married to hundreds of women, okay? Rich Mullins wrote a song back in the 90s, and he, there's a line where he says, it's one thing to win them, it's another to keep them content. That's Rich Mullins. I didn't say that. That's Rich Mullins. But there is a design that God gave us for our lives. And so when you say to the, oh, but doesn't the Old Testament, you know, also forbid this, but then they were all plural marriage and didn't they, didn't it endorse plural marriage? And the truth is, is that a lot of these guys did have plural marriages. And look what Solomon, at the end of his life, what is he saying? My wife, singular. Love your wife, singular. 
That is the, what God has blessed in this relationship. And I think that there's more in that as far as for some of you, if you're not married yet, if, you're, if you don't ever want to be married, but in relationships and companionship and friendship. But in this specific thing, he's saying that as a married man or a married woman, that that is holy. And of course Satan wants to destroy that. Enjoy that. He says, that's blessed by God. Enjoy the wife that you've been given. Husbands, don't make it hard for your wives to enjoy it. Wives, well, actually, I'm lucky because we're running out of time, so I'm not gonna say that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Wives, he's talking about the wife there, and then he goes on, he talks about your work, and he says, whatever your hand finds to do, do that. That's what God says is good. What does America say is good? Whatever's in your heart, go do it. That's terrible advice. American Idol was successful for how many seasons? Because a whole bunch of people did what was on their heart and nobody was honest with them. He doesn't say, that's not, you don't find joy by what's doing in, what's in your heart. Where a stab of joy is, is doing what is, what your hand finds to do, do that. When you are working and you are doing a really good job and you are going the extra mile, you are telling a story about Jesus. Seems like the last few months we're having a conversation every night or every other night, and it goes a little something like this. Shannon has been overseeing this renovation at Place of Hope. And it's usually, well, I had to fire this guy, or I had to literally stand over this guy, he, and she's showing me pictures like it looked like I did the floor. Like, huh? So that's a story that's being told. But then the other story is the story of Joey Williams, who is one of our brothers here from Conduit. And Joey is down there painting every day with a smile on his face. He's going the extra mile. That is what his hand found to do. I'll bet if you were to ask Joey when he was little, what'd you think you wanted to be when you grew up? It was, I don't know, probably an FBI agent or GI Joe or whatever it was. But, But what he's doing is what his hand found to do and he is finding joy in it. It's not micro, it's macro, it's holy. Now here's the deal. We're in the DUI world. Where Genesis 3 will sucker punch us. And how do we, Tracy, I see you here this morning. I love you. And how does Tracy do this? How does she go on? She just said goodbye to her husband just two weeks ago. There's uncertainty and there's injustice because it's not fair. These are just stabs of joy, and I encourage you. I mean, if there's one thing Greg and Tracy knew how to do was throw a party. He said for his memorial service, he wants, what is it? Good food, good people, and good wine. I think that's what he said. <laughs> and that's gonna happen August 26, something like that. But how do, we, how do we allow that to rise up? Because these are just pangs of it. In verse 11, there's a clue to this, and it's beautiful. Solomon didn't know about Jesus yet. And he says that there was a wise man There was a city that was under siege and he talked about this king had set siege to it and this wise man, his wisdom saved the city but they didn't appreciate it and it was was unfair because they didn't receive him. I believe inspired by the Holy Spirit, he is writing these words talking about a wise man named Jesus who became poor. Though he was rich, he became poor. A wise man who was poor, verse 11 and 12, 13, I think tell us. A wise man who became poor. Now he saves the city through his wisdom. Jesus, though he was rich, he became poor. And through his wisdom, 
He saved the city. He saved us because the wrath of God that we deserved because of the DUI world we live in, we bring a lot of it on to each other, to ourselves. We do things to each other. And, there's, and he's just saying, look, I'll just wash the whole thing away. The wise man, he saved the city and he wasn't heated. It was Jesus on the cross. His wisdom saved us and he was rejected. Didn't it say that? That his wise and though he was his own, rejected him. They knew him not. And it was on that day that he saved the city and the real source, the fountainhead of joy for us starts at the cross. And read these passages again, read these verses again with that in mind. Because what does he say? There is food and drink. Jesus said that his his body broken, his blood shed, the food, the bread, and the wine. That his body was broken, his blood was shed, the food and the drink, that we might be able to wear white. Though your sins be as scarlet, you will be white as snow. The anointing oil, it talks about, keep the anointing oil on your head. In the Bible, the oil of, is, is, is talked about the anointing, it speaks of the Holy Spirit dripping all over you. So because of his body broken, his blood shed, you are made righteous, you are wearing white, you have the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit on you so that you could become the wife of Jehovah, of Jesus, the bride of Christ, the wife of Jehovah. The picture he uses over and over again in scripture is about a husband and a wife that you can go on and do good things. He saved you to do good things works. What we do here, what we do across the hall, what we do across the table or across the world, we're doing good things. The story of the gospel is literally woven into these four things. So when I tell you these four things that you think are micro, that don't matter at all, God is saying, no, 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 I wove my entire love story of humanity into that. No wonder Satan attacks our marriages. No wonder he doesn't want you to have a good time. No wonder he wants you to think your job sucks. Because then you're losing out on this love story of Jesus. Don't say that word. We need to put it. Do we just got to put a PG-13 up on this before we? Because I'm trying. I swear I'm trying. I apologize, Zoe. The story of the gospel is interwoven into this thing in Ecclesiastes 9. And I don't know about you, but that blows my mind. We're about to go and sit around a table with each other and we're gonna have food and drink together. We can call it meat and greed, it might be burgers and dogs, but what you can remember today as you walk into that, that's not just a quick lunch, this is holy. Take a moment to breathe and engage with somebody. You see somebody sitting by themselves in that room, go sit next to them. Engage. Look, I'm an introvert, that terrifies me. Me too, solidarity. I get it. Push past that fear and engage with something holy today. And don't forget what you just thought was just normal things, this is really supernatural and this holy thing. Would you stand with me and we'll pray. If I know 
you as people, and I know humanity, I know that probably someone in here right now, you're thinking, yeah, but I just, I'm terrible at all this stuff. I'm missing out, I just, I'm, miserable and depressed. I'm not a good example to my kids. I'm not a, you know what a great example to your kid is? A great example to your friends is saying, hey, you know what, I own this right now. And the God of the universe loves you just the way you are and he loves you too much to let you stay that way because he wants more for you. And you know how transformation works? One day at a time. One day at a time. You wake up tomorrow, I want to be the next most humble version of Darren. And on Tuesday, I'm going to be the next most humble version of Darren. And a year from now, the great love story is like, oh yeah, but look where he's at now, where he was. Look where Timothy is now versus where he was. Look where Kenneth was, where he is. That's the story of Jesus. So don't, for a minute, allow yourself to suffocate under the pressure of not being good enough. Put on your white garment today. Put on your Holy Spirit oil today and allow yourself to be refreshed and quenched in the everyday minutia that is not micro, it is macro. God is infinitely large and infinitely small in the details of your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for everything you've done for us. Our Heavenly Father, we're just blessed and uh, we ask for your I just ask for you, Lord, to give us transformative moments today with each other, with our families, and that today, even today, sitting with a burger and a dog, we'll engage with these good things that you have blessed with food and with drink. For those of us that have perverted these pleasures, Lord, would you forgive us and show us that you're not trying to hurt us, you're just saying this is how you work. Would you show us those things? And for those that have prohibited these pleasures, would you give us a little bit of slack today, Lord, and show us how we can relax and live for you in our everyday lives, to be the good witness, the good proof of Christianity that Sheldon Vonneken spoke of, that you yourself, Jesus, spoke of. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.